It's a mean age. But it is going to be a beautiful future as long as we don't get up. I'm Brian McWilliams, and this is Mean Age Daydream, where I bring you unfiltered comedy, criticism, philosophy, and politics with a Mean Age Daydream. What's up, Buttercups? Welcome to Mean Age Daydream. I am Brian McWilliams, and I am joined today by one of my favorite people. I will say it's it's a shame on me moment that I haven't had you on my show before now, but it is the uh, the only, the great Brian Nichols. It's Brian on Brian action here. And of course, Brian is the host of The Brian Nichols Show over at We Are Libertarians, also an author of a book that you can find called How to Win Your Local Election. Very helpful stuff stuff. And of course, is also a sales and marketing expert like myself. So it makes some interesting conversations between the two of us. Brian, welcome. Brian McWilliams, thanks for having me on the show. Looking forward to digging in all things, I guess, perseverance, chat, GPT, and of course, sales and marketing. Thanks, my friend. Yeah, man, for sure. And I, I appreciate you carving the time out like we were talking about. You are fresh into daddyhood Woo. and oh, good times, huh? <laughs> Three weeks in and it's it's um, amazing, exhausting, but truly like rewarding experience. I 10 out of 10 recommend to anyone out there, if you are looking to find whatever it is you're looking for, have a kid. It'll exactly answer that question for you in so many ways that you would never it- expect. It is true. Now, that doesn't mean if you're having problems in your relationship to go out and have a child. That's not what we're saying here. (laughs) But without a doubt, man, I mean, having a kid, it's funny you see all these people out there that are, look, if you're happy without a kid, good. God bless you. You know, that's a a, be you live your life, do you. But it's just funny to see some people that are kind of going out of their way, like the Chelsea Handler thing when she was on the Daily Show making this elongated video. I'm so happy. Yeah. Look at me living. I masturbate all the time. Okay, great. Well, you know, that's probably why you don't have kids. Mountains a day. What are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) But it's just like, yeah, man, the most rewarding aspect of my day every day in some way, shape or form is is being with my child, seeing some evolution in the mindset. And what's interesting is you, you know you'll find this as you go along but I, i've seen distinctly that my wife looks backwards more often than forwards and i'm curious if this is a man woman mindset thing because she goes i miss when our older daughter logan i miss when she was a little baby she's so cute and always showing me these videos of when she was little and i'm like i can't wait to see what she's gonna be yeah. you know and i think that's a mindset man woman thing a little bit yeah i think the first post i actually shared about my daughter was i can't wait to see all the adventures that you'll be taking yourself on. I, I can't wait to be there every step of the way. And yeah. to that point, like my wife's still going back to, you know, day one, day two pictures and like, oh, look how cute she was in her little, <laughs> right. her little outfit. And I'm like, yes, yeah, so we got zero hours of sleep that first night in the hospital. Oh. I remember that fondly. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but right now I know for us as a couple, one of the really cool things is just all these little tiny milestones that mm-hmm. they don't seem like they're you know, big deals, but like her first, you know, kind of realizing, oh, it's daddy and smiling yeah. and, and just like feeling that like, oh man, it just hits you right in the heartstrings. You can't put it into words. And it's like, that's how I feel now when she's three weeks old. What am I going to feel like when she's three years old, when she's 13, when she's 33, right? And it's like all these little milestones that are going to be accomplished throughout the the time where we are to where we're going. I'm just, I don't know, man. I'm just elated that I'm around, around for this and along for the ride is really cool. Well, something too, I think you'll find, and this is what I tell people that are curious about having kids or, or, or can't have kids that are saying, well, I don't know if I want to adopt or not. And you're just kind of looking to not have kids at all. 
the one of the most rewarding things as well is living your life through their eyes mm-hmm. because there's so many things that we take for granted in life that you know these moments that we just we don't think about consciously and really take them to heart of how beautiful it is how amazing it is how unique it is or how fun it is you just kind of take them for granted as you go along you know I'm 43 I take a lot of things for granted now until I do that with my kids mm-hmm. and then Seeing them, seeing the eyes light up, seeing them like the wonder in their eyes makes it so much more fun for me again. It's literally, it's almost though you are renewing your own life mm-hmm. by doing it because yeah, of the experiential aspect. Yeah. yeah, you find you find that sense of purpose. Like and, and you know, our our mutual friend here, Mark Claire, I know he's kind of going through finding his sense of purpose. You go through Anybody, you know, that that's in this greater politics world trying to find their sense of purpose. I know a lot of us will go towards the old texts that, you know, we read all the old books and stuff, but like where you really find the purpose, the sense of, I don't know, just like that, that eternal truth Mm -hmm. is when you look in the eyes of your kid, because that just makes everything make sense. This is why we do what we do. This is why we want to see our, our society continue because we want to have the best future for them. And it just it puts everything into context beyond, you know, being in some stuffy book that was written 60, 70, 100 years ago. Now it's like this is applicable to right now, to five years from now and to the future, because what we're doing today is going to impact their lives in the future. And we have to we have not just the the chance, but we have the responsibility to make sure we're doing the best we can for our kids. And I mean, it just renewed the sense of, of purpose for me, not just in that, but what I'm doing for my show, what I'm doing when I'm mm-hmm. trying to reach out to help people articulate our ideas better through the lens of sales and marketing. And I, I, I actually just found it like I felt re- renewed almost, even though I'm exhausted. It, it really gave me that spark that I, I don't know, say I, I've been looking for, but just it, re- it re-energizes my mission and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, well, it ties in well. You know, the concept of today's show, just to let our audience know, is perseverance. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about perseverance and also chat GPT. They're very different things, but at the same time, I think they'll overlap in some way. And the conversation we're having now about parenthood, without a doubt, ties into perseverance. Not only in raising a kid takes a lot of perseverance, especially when they start to enter the toddler age, when you want to backhand them across the room all the time. <laughs> Got to persevere to be a good, good, caring, loving parent. But I think that it also speaks to your point about Every time I start to get burned out, right? And I've been doing this a long time, so have you. It's very easy to get burned out talking about liberty or anarchy or, or, or political concepts or cultural concepts that just seem like they're up against every possible barrier. Mm-hmm. And we struggle to try to push these things through, and it's very frustrating. But at the same time, having that kid, having that responsibility down the road – does make it that much more paramount that we succeed, maybe not all the way, but even in just moving the ball forward a little bit. And I yeah. wanted to ask you, when you when you talk about your concepts, when you talk about how you look at the world, is your philosophy to try to push the ball all the way down? Are you trying to say, look, I'm working towards the end goal. That's the only thing I have in mind is a, a complete free future. Or are you focused more on any way we can move the ball forward just a little bit, or I guess at this point, stop our liberties from being infringed upon. I, you know, it's almost like, you know, conservation in that matter. So where do you fall on that? Yeah. I I actually think this has evolved a little bit for me over the past few years. I was much more in the, the mindset of we were kind of playing defense for a long time and just trying to explain why Liberty makes sense. But I I've kind of taken this expression uh, and made it my own when you're explaining you're losing. 
And mm. I realized that we were expending way too much time trying to explain liberty versus trying to, to the other point, advance the ball forward, right? And this has moved more towards why my show back in 2020 took a, a hard turn towards sales and marketing because mm -hmm. I firmly believe that we will not advance anywhere, both as a movement, but also as a country, as a society, as a culture, unless we start playing offense. Now, that doesn't mean to be offensive, but mm -hmm. rather to actually move the ball forward using that analogy. If you're on a football field, right, we start at the 20, 25 yard line. We have to get to the other end zone. But if you're just constantly trying to run, you know, one yard up the middle, good luck because you're going to be running out of downs pretty darn quick. You got to start making some passes. You got to start being a little different than everybody else. And that means getting out of the comfort zone. So to your question, I look at it as right now we have to advance the ball any way we possibly can. You sweep it out to the right. You do a slant pass, whatever we have to do. We have to focus on doing what works, but also the goal is to get the touchdown, right? The goal is to score some points. So when we have the chance to not just make societal and cultural advancements, but also political and policy advancements, I think we have the, the obligation to, to play both games. So that's why I focus on not just trying to change people's minds, but how do we reach people where they're at specifically on the issues they care about and address mm -hmm. those issues from a solutions-based perspective and not just a philosophical one. If we're just going to go out and say, hey, listen, there's an answer to this problem you have, and it's in this big fat book I have here. Go read this. It's going to take you a week. No, they're like, hey, I have bills. I have responsibilities. I have a family. I have a kid. I have other things that are on the top of my list. I don't have time to read this big bulky book. So answer the direct question. What can you do for me right now? And with mm -hmm. that, we have not done a good job in the greater liberty movement of addressing that. It tends to be more high, you know, high philosophical approaches to, to life, to culture. And while we might be right, does that mean we're winning? No. And, and I guess going full circle here, that is why I've changed the approach I've been taking in, in playing much more offense, setting narratives instead of responding to narratives and trying to not just advance that ball forward, but actually at the end of the day, get some wins on the board. Yeah, I, I completely agree with your philosophy there and what you're trying to do. It's funny, so you and I have taken, because I agree 100% in we're trying to move the ball forward. And I also agree in trying something new and different to try mm -hmm. to get that touchdown, right? Yep. To continue that metaphor. Now, for me, you know, and, and it ties into perseverance as well, in that when I started to get burned out on my own show, trying to do, you know, repetitive kind of news breakdowns, which I still do, because I, I do enjoy it to a point, but I was getting frustrated because of the exact thing you were talking about of trying to convince people that freedom is the way forward. So I tried to rethink about how to do the messaging to try to get these. I guess it's still a philosophical bent, but in a different way than we'd ever tried to do it, which is to to deliver something that is going to be more of a long-term dream to change the way in which people believe in mm -hmm. the concept of liberty, which is what I'm working on now. Because if there's one thing I think people don't necessarily believe in, it's the uh, the ability for a libertarian or anarchist philosophy or even a voluntarist philosophy to actually be able to competently govern or deliver a, a freedom-based future that they can believe in, that they can trust in. Instead, yep. it's always a fear of these libertarians are going to take it away or the society is going to collapse or it's going to be fires in the streets. So delivering a better message in that way, that's one that's completely, you know, positive, believable. And it can be a little bit fantastic even because we're talking about, a, a, you know, something that hasn't ever been put into place, but delivering that touchdown pass, mm -hmm. that Hail Mary that can inspire. I mean, if it hits, 
that could inspire a generation of people, whereas we're not doing it yet. And and again, inspire them to persevere through challenges that might present themselves because they believe in something better and bigger, which is, I think, why Democrats have that advantage over us, because these people are believing in something that is the Hail Mary of a utopian future under, you know, obviously fascist uh, left rule. And with the GOP, many times it's this Hail Mary of we're either going to go back to the 40s, 50s or the Hail Mary of we're going to you know bring back the good old days under uh, Christ or whatever it might be. But it's still a long term philosophical belief, whereas we typically do not deliver that. Yep. And I think that that's a, a real failing on our part. Well, and it goes to I think we're sometimes aiming too big. Uh, mm-hmm. We try to win the Super Bowl when it's you know game one of the season, and you have to to understand the game in order to play the game effectively. So that's exactly why. And you hinted at my my new ebook I wrote, how to mm-hmm. win your local election. Where can we make the most impact? Right? It's it's not talking about federal politics. I mean, yeah, we like talking about federal politics, but can we make an impact to the extent that we want to with federal politics to change the entire political discourse for the country? Or do we have more success in finding specific issues that we know 1,000%, Brian, we win on, and then find the localities that are demanding answers to the problems they see? And guess what? We have the solutions to then go in, build that trust, earn their their respect, and and show not just that our ideas are good and make sense, but they work. And we can help fix their communities right now. I, I just moved out of Philadelphia back at the beginning of 2022 because- I mean, granted, it was beyond the you know the the fact that it was four million people or so in a city where it was completely on fire, you know, shooting right. lockdowns. <laughs> you go through the the insanity over the past few years, but also, what was my ability to make impact in in Philadelphia? It was minimal because yeah. I was not just one of four million, but I was also what twenty percent or less of individuals who aren't part of the democratic machine. So being now in an area not only where it's a smaller truly community environment, but somewhere I can make a difference, right? I can talk to local leaders and and have influence on not just the ideas, but also the solutions that they're bringing to the table. That's much more impactful, but also it gives me the chance to start saying, this is more than just stuff I talk about on a podcast with a bunch of other libertarians, but rather this is stuff that we can, we know is going to help make communities better. So you know, whether it's talking about, uh, you know, empowering sheriffs, right, locally to, mm-hmm. to stand against uh, insane gun laws. Talk about the the work that different uh, localities have been doing and states have been doing with the Defend the Guard. Talking about individual uh, localities fighting back against the lockdowns or the, the COVID authoritarian measures that were put in place by their, their respective states or, in many cases, the, the federal government. What can we do? to help embolden those elected officials at a local level or local leaders, right? And and we have more success in going that route because instead of just talking about this stuff in a kind of high a high level uh, way, to, making it so it's not really applicable to the real problems people are facing, now we are able to build that trust, again, build that relationship and show it's not just us talking a good game, but playing a good game too. Yeah. Well, you know, talk about being relatable, mm-hmm. uh, developing relationships. One thing, we, you know, tying into sales and marketing a little bit. So I don't know about you or how often you use a, a negative close. And to explain what a negative close is to people out there that don't know the phrase is basically coming down off of a, a purely positive, like, look, we're going to do everything for you and we're the best solution for you. And basically giving them the option to say, look, we might not be for you. It might not be for everybody. We might not be the best fit. I think we'll do a great job, but you know what? We might not be. And it gives people a little bit of a, 
a gut instinct that they want to lean in because you're pulling back. It's almost like if you you, know, you take a toy away from a kid, they instantly want that toy back to simplify this as simple as it can make it. And I find that that could be something that's a little bit useful that we also don't necessarily do with liberty because we're so desperate for people always to believe in our philosophy, to automatically jump on board and say, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, that we push a little bit too hard instead of saying, acknowledging, look, this might not be for you. You might not get this. You might not understand it. This might, and I've told this, this I've actually had a lot of success saying, look, my solutions might not be the best solution. I will fully admit that, but we don't ever try my solutions. Mm -hmm. And I'm also frank with people in saying that sometimes I've had challenges where I said, you know, I don't know if this can be fixed under my philosophy. I don't know if it can be fixed under yours, but I'll admit that. And that opens them up. So after saying that, your thoughts on the negative close strategy and also tying into perseverance, has there ever been a time where you were thinking about the way we look at the world and said, you know what? I don't know if I think this can fix things any longer or has there been a dark night of the soul for you where you wanted to give up and stop doing what we're doing i I wouldn't say i've gotten to the point where i've ever had a dark night and i've wanted to stop doing what we're doing but i've definitely and i think constantly and if you're not having situations where like me you are thinking about our ideas and our solutions and saying do these actually work then you're not doing your job, right? And and this mm-hmm. goes to anybody who's selling a product, a service, is you want to constantly put yourself in the shoes of the person you're trying to sell to and figure out what would be the problems, the concerns, the objections that they are going to bring to the table and truly answer it, right? You, you don't want to be a snake oil salesman. You don't want to fit the, the square peg through a round hole. But at the same point in time, you do have a solution that you are hoping will solve the problems. So I would say the best thing to do is always to look back to see what have you accomplished in the past with your solutions? Did it help solve the problems of your customers? Kind of taking this more high-level approach. But when you're talking more specifically about our ideas, our philosophy, I think it actually, to your point, opens up more of a conversation because you're putting yourself in a position of yeah, I might not be right, right? Yeah. And, and that being open, being vulnerable, it gives the the person you're speaking to a chance for themselves to be vulnerable to say, well, maybe what I've considered as my solution isn't working either. And right. we know, well, Brian, and, as sales guys, the most dangerous language or the da- most dangerous words in the English language are, well, we've always done things this way, right? So whether right. it's libertarians trying to use our old way of always just bombarding people with facts and figures and trying to good idea them to death, or the people we're reaching out to, our target market, who maybe they haven't really considered other options, both of those ideas of not trying new things, not getting outside of your comfort zone, not getting past the status quo, I mean, that's that's the the main reason we don't see positive change. So I think going full circle to your question, yeah, I, I think the negative close works, but I also think I will add one caveat. It is to know who it is you're speaking to, right? Mm-hmm. To go after the specific market that is open to change. Uh, we, we talk about this in the world of sales, trigger events, right? You want to look for people who are in a moment of a trigger event, whether it's they are having some big change of, of philosophy because of a big moment of, you know, whether it's uh, an abortion ruling or uh, you know the lockdowns. Think of the major yep. issues you've all faced over the past few years. What would make them start to reconsider a solution or their existing status quo and and be able to enter into those conversations, enter the conversations that they're already having instead of trying to reframe yeah. where they're supposed to be paying attention? No, well, it's like them. we were talking about this on yeah. your show is the yeah. importance of engaging on it because so often culture overlaps in this in so many ways of these Bingo. trigger events you're talking about. So exactly. Yeah. Well, sorry. Continue though. Yep. Yeah. 
No, no, no. But that, that, I mean, full circle, right? I mean, that is the answer for a lot of the problems we face is understanding who it is we're speaking to and addressing not just the, the, the facts and the figures, the good ideas, but more specifically addressing the problems. And with that, bringing solutions that are tangible to the table. But throughout the entirety of it, making sure that you're putting things in the context that, hey, this might not be the best solution, but based on X, Y, and Z, me being the expert salesperson that I am, talking to you, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, I believe that this is the best solution for you. But I could be wrong. Again, and yeah. again, putting yourself in that position of being vulnerable opens them up to have that conversation because then they're, they can be vulnerable as well. Right. And I think also, you know, we were talking about the negative close people. When you pull back, as I mentioned, they often will lean in. Yes. And you also give them the chance not only to express a little bit of vulnerability in their own philosophy, but also they will then, if you give them that opening, very often I found this to be the case, they will then say, okay, well, maybe you don't think it's for me. Maybe they'll start looking for reasons why maybe it is for them. Yep. And that's where once you get them start thinking about maybe this is for me and they start to you know, develop because they want to have that conversation to kind of continue pushing it forward. Well, you might just have, them. you know, you got the fish on the hook. Yes. So. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I couldn't say it better, Brian. So then tell me a little bit more about, you know, the, the perseverance aspect. As you said, there's never a point where you you wanted to quit, but has there ever been a ch- you know the challenging aspect and maybe not just <laughs> a, in podcasting, but anything in your life as we're talking about perseverance? Oh, absolutely. You know, times, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that because I do think it's very important is a lot of people will get down. And I think a lot of people that we talk to, and not everybody, but a lot of people that might listen to our shows might not have kids. They might have a significant other. They might be feeling down. They might be feeling alone. They might be feeling uh, out of a job. I mean, it's something where that belief in yourself and that perseverance is a very powerful thing to believe in and continue, even if it's just a, a habit to persevere. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to go back to what you were asking there earlier about, you know, the moments where I found myself maybe at my weakest and and mm-hmm. feeling that I needed to maybe make a change, but really to keep moving forward in a different, well, in a, in a better direction once I started to, to change things. And I, I hope this is kind of going where you're thinking. So the, the first of, of these things, you know, when it comes to the podcast that, that comes up is 2020, 2019 really is when it hit me. I was, I was like, what am I doing at this point? I'd been doing the show for a number of years. And I, I found my show was more so just kind of fitting into the libertarian has libertarian on show and talks about libertarianism. And it's like, right. <laughs> that's fantastic. But what am I doing to actually move the needle? Like if I were to present this episode to someone, would it change their mind? Or if I were to you know present it to your average person, they'd be like, okay, culty, I get it. Like you like this libertarian stuff, move along. And for me, that was a big moment because I actually was like, what am I going to do for the show? Do I want to keep doing this? And it, I was like, I'm a sales guy by trade. This, this should be the approach I take to the show. And for me, it was to not just make that change, but then to be consistent in that change of focusing on sales and marketing and how we can apply it to this greater world of liberty politics. So that'd be number one. Uh, number two, so uh, number and actually number two and number three go kind of hand in hand from a health perspective. So going back about 15-ish plus years or so, I was very unhealthy. I was a very, very big boy. Um, I weighed at my heaviest, 385 pounds. Holy and, shit. Wow. Yeah, I was morbidly obese, Bri. Like I, I was unhealthy. I was unhappy. And I knew that I, I wasn't putting myself not just in a, a position for success, but I was actually putting myself in a, a terrible spot from a health standpoint of trying to 
you know, have sense of, of self, like being 385 pounds, you don't, you don't trust your own skin. Right. Mm. So for the first year of me deciding that that wasn't the route I wanted to go anymore, I started to, so I was terrified about going to the gym and I lived at the time I was up in Northern New York at my parents' house. And we lived in this very rural area. And I said, you know what? I, I'm not going to go to the gym, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out to our old family barn. And, you know, it's a 250 or so foot barn. I would go out there in the middle of February, freezing cold. I would walk up and down that barn, um, you know, probably for two hours a night. And Punchy I would cows. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Know, there's no more cows at that point. It's empty barn. Um, but I would go up and down the barn and I would just walk back and forth. And then after I ended up, I lost about 20 pounds or so, 30 pounds. I was like, okay, maybe I can do this at the gym. We'll give it a shot. And I was terrified, bro. I was, I was mortified of like going to the gym, wearing clothes that showed my fat body, all my rolls. And just to, to then get to the gym and say, no, you got to keep doing this. You got to keep moving forward because you know where you were and you know how unhappy you were then. So just to keep that mentality of moving forward one step at a time, literally, and, and to, to get to a point where, you know, over a two year period, I lost 180 pounds of fat. And that for me was a huge win. But then fast forward, you know, about 10 years later, yeah, 10 years or so later, um, you know, all these injuries that had accumulated over the years of playing sports, you know, once I started to lose weight, I got into football, uh, lifting weights. And, and with that subsequent injuries that took mm -hmm. place, uh, namely just cause I was trying to move things around, not even in the gym, but, uh, you know, out, out helping my wife, you know, trip and fall with a thing on my shoulder, snap my, my shoulder, stuff like that, all fun stuff. And all of a sudden, all these injuries, um, plus a lot of demons, frankly, that I had not addressed when I was younger were all bottling up. And I found myself leaning more and more heavily towards alcohol as a, a, a crutch to, to get me through, not just, you know, sleeping at night, but to in, sometimes get through the day. Mm -hmm. And this was like a year, two year period where I was heavily, heavily drinking. And I, I was like, man, I, I have to do something different. And it was, wasn't really until I started my show. Uh, that I, I started to have more of a change in terms of not drinking as much, actually going and talking to professionals and, and working on my mental health, that I found myself getting better. But you, know, you start digging up through some of your, your past issues and your, your past traumas and stuff and, and why you drink, and, and it, it makes you really uncomfortable. But to know that despite that being uncomfortable, it was important for me to stay the course because I knew it was going to make me a better person and a better version of myself, not just for me, but for my family, for my friends, for my wife. So for, for me to then address that, and, and this is you know, a many year period of trying to, to get alcohol out of my life up to the point I actually stopped drinking entirely back in 2021. That was like the end. I was like, you know what? I had one day and I had actually gotten to the point where I would only drink socially. But mm -hmm. it got to the point where one day I had a, you know, a, a group of friends that we went out and we were drinking and stuff. And I got home and uh, I woke up the next morning and I felt like absolute dog shit. And I, I was like, this just sucks. Like, why yeah. do I do this? Like, I don't feel good. And I, I said, you know what? I don't really want to drink anymore. And, and ever since that thought, Bri, I, I haven't I haven't drank. I just I, I haven't had the desire to. And I mean. I, this isn't to preach to anybody who likes to drink. Trust me, like I'll, I'll every now and then it's a hot summer day, right? Like I, I get it, man. Like I, I sometimes will be like, mm, Tito's and tonic would be really nice yeah. to you know, walk outside, hang, you know, hang out at the front porch. But, uh, you know, one, the one last time I had that thought, it actually, it was last summer. I had this kind of just random 
fleeting like, oh, Tito's a tonic. And I went over. We still had half a handle of Tito's. And I just I opened it and I sniffed it. and I, I gagged. I was like, oh, my I can't do it. And, you know, I don't know what it was for me, but like that change has been the best change. Like sobriety in my life, Brian, has been one of the best blessings because now it's given me the chance to be the best version of myself, for my wife, for my daughter and, and for you guys, frankly, like, you know, you guys got a, a, a B version of Brian for like five years. And and I think now you're getting an A version of Brian because I'm I'm in the best spot I've ever been in my life because I addressed what I knew was a problem. And, and despite the, the challenges of the change, I knew I had to stick to the change. So right. I guess those three examples, I hope those kind of answer what you're looking for. No, but, it does. For, okay, yeah. cool. For sure. I mean, well, I think there's something to be said for the idea, going back to the weight loss and the fear that comes along with any type of big change. And I think people also, when they think about going to the gym, this just popped in my mind. I just wanted to share it though. Whenever, mm-hmm. I'll be honest, whenever I see somebody at the gym that's, that's very much overweight, that's there working out the first thing that comes to my head is good for them. And it's not that I'm looking down at them, but I'm saying good for them because I do appreciate that fact. Going to the gym that heavy is terrifying and you think you're going to be judging and they're just looking at you and then being disgusted. But I think the vast majority of people look at you and say, good for you. It takes a lot of guts to do that. And they appreciate it. So anybody out there that's scared of going to the gym, I trust me, you're going to be fine. Yes. No one's going to make fun of you. You got to get um, in your own head. And just yeah. one thing too, to that, the biggest, like the biggest uh, like detractor that I ever had in my life was the the guy in my own brain, right? Mm-hmm. And that's true for everybody. Like the worst fears, the worst you know situations that we ever think of are exactly that. They're thoughts. And and yeah. when you actually go out and you live in this real world that you realize your average person they're not evil. They're not you know they're not the the worst case scenario doom and gloom. They're they're actually rooting for you in many cases. And yeah, I think that's important. You know, because for me. I was terrified, man. Like I was, I did not want to step foot in that gym because I knew for me, I, how uncomfortable I was just like to, to see myself and, and think like, Oh my gosh, this is what I see. What do everybody else see? And, and to kind of get out of your own head, that was the the best, like truly the best blessing for me to learn was that things aren't what you make it in your mind. Like there, yeah. there is what you have inside your head versus what the real world is. And you got to focus more on being present and, and really living in this, this moment for, for what it is. Yeah. And I think everybody has, whether it's going to the gym or whether it's trying to do something new, you know, I, I'm still trying to be a screenwriter. That's what I moved to LA to do. I'm still trying to, it, it's unbelievably difficult, but even though it's been nothing but you know, failure and time and t- and prioritization is difficult and you know, all these other things get in the way. I will say that perseverance in that respect, I think, is finally starting to pay off after years and years and years. You know, where the script is, I've got a script out there. It's finally getting some awards recognition. Great. Not just to pat myself. I'm, I'm telling you this for, no, that's awesome. you know, for a reason, but it's because it's so difficult, I think, to overcome that complex of the, you know, the fraud complex. Yes. Of Imposter I, syndrome. You, yeah, exactly. Imposter syndrome. Am I good enough to do this or am I completely wasting my time? And the more time it takes to do something, the deeper that thought's going to be because you look at all the other things that you could be doing. I mean, I've got this podcast, I've got public relations career, I've got all these different avenues that I should be focusing on in different ways and trying to figure out which one of those to put time into is a difficult task at any point in time. And when you have something that takes such an, an amount, a mass amount of effort, 
to persevere through that is a massive challenge. Yep. And I think that that's something where it's so easy to fail, but you know, habit making, of course, is a big thing in life, negatively and positively. And I think that a lot of people just need to work on that perseverance of pick something you want to do, whether or not you're confident in doing it or not, and give it a try and make sure you finish the task. Yes. Whatever it is, just finish it. And you know what? If it turns out you suck at it, at least you know. Yep. I tried it and I suck. And now you yeah. could cross it off your list and you could do something else through the life instead of half-assing things, not continuing, not pushing you through them. And then you never really know, but you never really accomplish anything either. And give yourself three weeks too. just, you know, the, the context of it takes three weeks for any healthy habit to stick. Mm -hmm. So for me, like going to the gym, that was like the, the most just like world changing thing I've ever done because I'd never done anything physical really. Like I was like, I, I was relatively air quote fit for a 385 pound guy as much as you could. Like I did marching band, which I mean, I played tuba. So I'm carrying this like 60 pound instrument walking three miles, but I was still, I would, I would, I would it would have been a lot funnier if you played the triangle, just this massive been. guy, like, bing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, I'm just thinking of like Peter Griffin playing triangle. Right. <laughs> um, but, Cause that's pretty accurate. But I, I mean, for me and I know for anybody else out there who, when you try something new, there is that fear of the new, Give yourself the time to get comfortable with it. Give your 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 body time to adapt to it, and and then then kind of take the time to to evaluate if you're spending your time efficiently. But I think to your point, Brian, going forward, you you have you you have to to stick with it just for yourself to to see you know were you able to accomplish it and and right. to challenge yourself. Right? If when it gets hard. Well, that means you're you're on the right path because if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Exactly. The fact that it is hard is is the, the the point you want to remember. This is why you're doing it because the the struggle will be worth the reward at the end. And and that mm -hmm. I think is you know something we have as a liberty movement to start focusing more on is the actual outcomes versus the struggle that we find ourselves <laughs> in, which is sharing our books and sharing ideas and hoping people will catch on, only to you know go decades on end without really having too much political uh, success. But yeah, I digress. Yeah. All right. Well, enough positivity. Let's get into some <laughs> negative stuff here with chat GPT. Do it. Now, I know the reason I wanted to uh, to bring up chat GPT is I know for you, it's something that you're concerned about. I remember there was something you had, you tweeted out. It was uh, like a chat GPT transcript or something like that. That was mm. very worrying. I've read a lot about yep. people doing, yeah, I guess, investigative. I know what you're you talking will. about, Brian. You know what it was? It was um, Microsoft. I don't mean to interrupt. It was Microsoft. Yep who they were using the new chat GPT four, uh, where it, I forget the, the amount of data that it's pulling from, but it's, it dwarfs chat GPT three. Mm. And what they're doing is asking it to analyze specific situations. And in this example that Microsoft showed, I think it was Microsoft used as the example. It was, well, what if you were talking to an anti-vax relative, Right. What would be the pros, the cons, the outcomes? What emotional language or arguments could the person make to try and convince the person that is, you know, not on board with getting a vaccination? And to see that this is how they're implementing it in this respect, not even talking about, you know, the, the worst case scenarios of, you know, it starting World War Three or <laughs> making us all irrelevant little drones and it, you know, taking over all of our jobs. But to see that it's it is going to be used, it is being used right now for societal manipulation from powers that be that that is the scary thing, I think. Oh, without a doubt. And I think that it's something where that it's so powerful and it's so overarching in that 
virtually anybody at any stage in their life can use it. And that's where I get highly concerned about the biases that are built into this system, number one. And you're seeing those play out. People have done the simple examples of Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. Give me you know, a what's Donald Trump poem. I yeah, can't do is, that. I, my, I'm a language model. I'm not allowed to make offensive posts. Give me right. a Joe Biden one. Joe Biden is the best, the best president we've ever had. It's like, oh my God. I mean, it's it ridiculously blatant and patently biased. Yes. But you think about how many people use that all the time every day and also every the language day. that's being programmed into it as far as contextually what's okay and what's not, you know, work was not working. You're saying Biden versus Trump. All of these things are being ingrained in a program which you've got people that are in grade school school all the way up through college utilizing all the way through marketing agencies because I know a lot of marketing agencies now that are using chat GPT even mm-hmm. through to your customer service representative so that is becoming such a major saturation point in society that the power of that tool to manipulate the population cannot be overstated yep and and from a perspective of what's to be done about it I mean I really don't know. Is it going to be like, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on how we push back on this, but is it going to be a, a AI that's a Bing to uh, Google or, or say duck, duck go, or even you know, whatever you want to use for your search engines. I mean, what are your thoughts on how to push back on this? I would say surefire evil for the world. And I'll, and I'll tell you, we could talk a little bit more about why I feel that is after your answer. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and I definitely think there are red flags for, to say the least with anything re- with regards to the, the AI that we've seen over the past, what, like six months really mm-hmm. just take over the world. And I mean, I, I think going to the old analogy, yeah, fight fire with fire and the, the cat's out of the bag with AI. It's not, it's not going away. No. And there, there is a utility to it, uh, but to your point, there is lots of bias built into said utility. So I think it's imperative for us to understand how it works and to be able to use it the best ways that we can to fight back, right? So when when we're talking about like Elon Musk, who's starting up a brand new AI company himself, I think it's like AIX or something like that. It's it's part of his whole X company branding that he has going on. Which, by the way, I'm sure he I'm sure as a defensive maneuver because he hates AI. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's got on record saying it's going to destroy humanity. So I'm sure yeah. this is his plan to create an army of AI powered robots to defend <laughs> Musk Manor. And if that's the case, and his 800 right? children. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> he's doing his part to help uh, make sure we repopulate <laughs> the earth, but. He's right up there with Nick Cannon. Um, yeah. But I think you know he's on the right path because he sees that the best way to fight the AI is going to be utilizing AI, which I know it just feels kind of like counterintuitive. Why would you want I, to, to I, use I, I agree the, with it, though. I agree. And you kind of have to, right? Because if you go through what what's AI really good at, it's good at taking large chunks of data and information and analyzing it and, and breaking it down. And that's really what you're seeing right now with all the AI we have. What it, what's it doing is it's going to the internet where we have trillions on trillions on trillions of terabytes of data that it, it I mean, from the advent of the internet to 2023, it's, it's siphoning through to be able to answer air quote, the questions that it's allowed to answer. But when, when you see that that's all it's really doing is, is bringing everything kind of to to a center point so we can better, I guess, better access that information in an easy to, to see manner. 
that means just we have to do a better job at creating something that, that's going to get rid of the, the bias, right? So right. To, as long as you kind of have the, the yin to the yang, I mean, this is why you saw back with uh, the old way of, of the corporate media, you know, the Walter Conkrites, the, the Dan Rathers, the Tom Brokaws of the world. That was the trusted news uh, anchors. But what happened was with you know the Matt Drudge reporting on the Monica Lewinsky scandal saying, this, this, they're not trusted. They're they're mm. not even like reporting on this stuff. He opened the door for this entire right wing media a, a, uh, environment to, to enter into the the, the uh, atmosphere, and all of a sudden you have the Daily Caller, the Daily Wire, the Blaze, Breitbart. You go down the list: Town Hall, uh, Red State, Libertarian Republic, Lines of Liberty. We are libertarians. Like all of a sudden, it gave us a chance to play the role and and serve as almost pseudo journalists and bring alternative means of information and thought to the table. And that really helped along with the advent of social media, right? Mm -hmm. For all the sins with social media, it also allowed us to communicate and, and kind of bypass the traditional medium. So with every negative thing, which absolutely is correct, that comes along with AI, I think there's also a lot of opportunity for us in the, in the greater liberty world to, to use it to our advantage and to help us be more effective. And that doesn't necessarily have to be with you know writing copy, which, by the way, if you go ahead and read the Anheuser-Busch uh, pseudo-apology. Oh, no, I mean, it's hilarious. It was, like, it was like somebody went to chat GPT and they're like, can you write a, an apology letter to my fans and make it yeah. as non-threatening as possible? And that's why like your average person they can read through that kind of nonsense. That's why, like, you're you're if you're a good copywriter, if you're you're bringing that human element to the table, you're not going to be replaced by AI. But if you're just you know somebody who's like a button pusher or you're looking through facts and figures, that's where it's really going to disrupt that environment and that. And we have to figure out what can we do to make sure that it's accessing the right information versus just pr promoting some you know leftist garbage that's been put in as the the right think. Right. Well, it's definitely going to be an arms race. And I think what you're going to see, and I'll and also go a, a step forward as to why I think it's still going to be an evil, but it's going to be an arms race in that you are going to have to have de facto an AI that is designed solely to detect other AI and block and filter that AI. And I mean, by the way, some of that already exists. Like if you're yeah. looking at colleges, right? They were like, what are we going to do about a college paper? Like there are kids writing it left and right. Oh, I had yeah. a kid who worked yeah. with us at a, my old company. And uh, he was saying how he, when he finished college, he was actually had some buddies who were, you know, still a year behind or so. And they were doing the, the chat GPT stuff to start out and they were getting yep. A's and, and the professor's like, what's happening? And then, you know, lo and behold, it was AI. So now they have all these AI filters that you can recognize. Right. Oh, this is 96% AI generated, that kind of stuff. So it exists. It is starting out there. And that was exactly to your point, a yeah. result of someone saying, wow, we got to address this ASAP. Yeah. Yep. So that's what's stayed without a doubt, because even look at what's happening with video and now that the AIs with video have gotten so advanced where they can oh, yeah. like the Joe Rogan AI episode, for example. So there's going to be this warfare, counter warfare. My worry with, with chat GPT and AI is basically that even though I agree with you that you're not going to be able to replace human elements, there's still going to be the creativity behind mm -hmm. humanity that I think will continue. And I'm, you know, we always mock the, the people trying to defend the horse and buggy, which would be to try to stop AI. But I do have the concern that similar to wall E that famous wall E where there are, you know, it's all these fat people in yep. hover cars and they don't really think I do. Con my concern is that similarly to how we've seen a devolution in the use of language, in the use of, I guess, more formal ways of communicating to the point where I, as uh, somebody who's hiring and has hired interns, some of the writing samples are unbelievably atrocious. And mm -hmm. we already have a, a crisis in education when it comes to writing and critical thinking. 
my worry is that the AI already is going to compile on top of this this deficit of critical thinking, this deficit of ability for people to think for themselves and to create for themselves, because it's going to make it so vastly easy to have everything just done for you, taken care of for you, thought out for you, where, you know, like you were talking about earlier, give me an argument for why people should be taking the vaccine who don't want to take it. People aren't going to have to think about, they're just simply going to go to chat GPT and they're going to lose that capacity. And that to me is a great danger to humanity and our ability to move forward. Yeah, yeah, and and this kind of goes back to uh, me bringing up my old you know family uh, history of being farmers, right? Uh, if if you think about the way farming has changed over the past two hundred years, let's say, right? You go from what was your your mom and pop family dairy farms, where maybe they had a couple hundred acres of land, and that was that was the extent of the farm, to now you have these massive, huge, mm-hmm. almost corporate like uh, factory farms, and you say, how do we go from there to here? so quickly and, and and with that such a, a change in in the way that we're producing what farms you know produce whether it's dairy milk uh, beef cattle uh, you know the, the actual uh, you know yields of their their crops that they're bringing forward so when you look at what they're doing differently it's the tools right the tools that were brought to the table and if you still but if you don't know how the tool works and the context behind the tool, it doesn't matter how good or advanced the feature might be for that tool. So mm-hmm. let's say, for example, uh, you think of cows, dairy cows. Traditionally, everybody thinks of how do you milk a cow? You, you sit down with a bucket and you, but then as you move forward with the advancement of, you know, larger dairy farms, all of a sudden you had these automatic pumps that, you know, cows would walk into a, st- a stall, the little machine would come up, go to the udders and then start pumping out the, the milk for the cow. But that doesn't change the, the problem that, you know, cows are known to get mastitis and, and you have to make sure that you're paying attention for those little things. Right. So I, I use that kind of gross example, but think about it from an AI perspective. If you're just going into AI and you're typing in you know, garbage in, you, you are going to get garbage out in, in some instances. Right. And in many cases, actually, if you were go to chat GPT and just you know, ask it to write you a letter of recommendation for a brand new company, it's going to come across really, really like, you know, st- like like almost copy and paste. And it's going to feel very like just blech. but if you put in like, write me a letter of recommendation for a brand new job at a PR marketing firm, this is a senior level position, uh, roles and responsibilities include X, Y, Z, and you are very thoughtful in it. And then you are able to take what you knew was important to put in and then read what it puts out to make sure that's all being covered. That's going to be more impactful and, and truly help you going forward. But going to the other part, part, if you're just putting the garbage in and getting garbage out, it's not going to make you more advantageous in the marketplace versus the competitors. So mm. I guess I say that to go back to, that's why I think it's on us to make sure that we're just doing it better, using the tools more efficiently and effectively versus the competitors out there who, I mean, they're, they will use the garbage in garbage out, but there are going to be those who rightfully should be concerning because they're going to be able to more effectively use it for nefarious purposes. So I think, again, right. we have almost a responsibility to play that game. We just got to do it better. Yeah. Well, here's the uh, the last question we have to ask. We're talking about AI and ChatGPT is, do you have a fear of ChatGPT and AI getting out of the box and actually becoming a destructive force? A little um, bit. I mean, I don't uh, I mean, Did you hear about the story about the <laughs> it happened, AI? It happened so fast. Like all this came together in the last couple of years so quickly that I was kind of blown, blown away by it. Did you hear the story <laughs> about the ChatGPT4 um, where it was, it was, Okay, I'll, I'll reframe. So the Chat GPT uh, Chat GPT four 
that again, this is like the next level of GPT where it's, it's accessing trillions of data points. And there was an experiment done where they said, okay, chat GPT for you are the head of a, a company and we want you to be able to make money any way you can. So one of the things it needed done was to have like a designer or like some, somebody create something. I forget the specifics of what it needed created. So it went to Fiverr. So remember, mm. all AI, AI went to Fiverr, which is where you can access pretty much, you know, any type of, of service you could possibly ask for. And to bypass, so there was a filter in it that they they had to, to go through. And one of the things, oh, one of the things was, is like the, you are not a robot, right? It hired somebody on Fiverr to click that button for them <laughs> so he could bypass the the, the failscape, right? And when the wow, that's it, that's pretty like, fucking good. Yeah, and they're like, "Hey, are you are you a robot?" Like they were like tongue in cheek, and the guy, yeah. and then the AI was like, "No, I I'm a, a person with you know the seeing disabilities, and I I can't see the the capacha to to move forward." So that's happened in five months, six months, right? I mean, we're in April as we're recording here today. God only knows as we get towards December, man. Right. Like, it, it's already trying to get outside of the parameters and you know get outside of the the, the confines it was put in place with. I mean, I would be sh- shocked not to see it get out and, and try to do some nefarious things, which I mean, that's obviously big red flag, which I think is that's where Elon, he, his head's at. It's like, how do we stop this thing once it is out of the bag to, to stop like destroying our humanity and our societies? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much where I fall too. I, I don't see how you could possibly stop it or contain it. I was even thinking about the rules of uh, Isaac Asimov's robot world, you know, these, the rules that were put into place in these robots. I'm thinking, even if we had those put into place, these things are going to work around it. They've got these instantaneous ability to calculate a billion different possible options and uh, without getting tired. Yep. They're going to wear us down. It's going to happen. So yeah, it's the only way to combat it is, I guess, with other AI now that the cat's out of the bag, but. It's worrisome. Again, as a as a father with two daughters, I'm like, oh God, are they just gonna be in the robot minds? <laughs> you know? Well, and man, this this kind of goes back to what we were talking about when we started things off, right? And that is like yeah. why it's so important for us to be involved in not just like our families, but our communities. Like be be the change you want to see in, in our society. And if it, it is a society where we're trying to teach our kids the value of critical thinking. Don't put them online. Don't get them. Don't like yeah. my daughter. She's not going to have a smartphone for a number of years because I, I don't want her to be growing up in this TikTok generation where her thoughts and opinions are, are you know, behest to some random algorithm and some kid with a Twitch who decides to, you know, go ahead onto to social media and, and, you know, bring their weird worldview to the table. I mean, goodness gracious, man. I, I I'm, I'm not, are you familiar with Mr. Beast? Yeah. Yeah, so like he, one of his guys, uh, the the Chris Tennyson. Uh, ten- yeah, Tennyson? he's the yeah. the transsexual uh, that he's and friends like, with, right? My God, dude, you watch some of those older videos, and Chris was one of the most like like he was actually one of the more I say normal because like they're they're all pretty normal guys, but like he was level headed, he was very knowledgeable, and to see that even he, once you kind of get into this world can be consumed by this mind virus. Yeah. It's it's like exhausting and sad because it didn't have to be this way. And I guess you know it goes to why we have a responsibility both as parents and as you know people in our communities but also I mean we have our show so I guess we kind of are thought leaders in some respect but like to to speak out when we see these things going in a negative way. And this is also you know a little bit of a, a thing I will say about libertarians is that you have a responsibility to call out bad ideas. Like our idea of don't hurt people and don't take their stuff 
that's all well and good up into the point people are actually hurting people <laughs> and taking their stuff. So at that point, they're just saying, you know, you shouldn't do that. We right. have a responsibility <laughs> to stop people from doing that. Like stand up, say this is wrong. You don't have to to accept bad ideas. As a matter of fact, we have an obligation to fight bad ideas. So yep. libertarians, I mean, pardon the expression, but sack up. Like we have to start actually fighting back. And that's not, you know, a, a call to arms, but rather a call to common sense. We we have we have to be the change and it starts with us. So start representing what you want to see as the change you you want in the world, but also start calling out bad ideas when you see it and and make sure people understand why you think it's a bad idea and then show ways that we can we can go past and move forward from it. Amen. Love it, man. I think that's a perfect place to end. Brian Nichols, tell everybody where they can find you. Of course, I will also tag these and link to these in the show notes, but where can they find you? Where can they listen to you? Where can they read you and all that good stuff? Brian McWilliams, it was a pleasure. And uh, as for folks, if they're like, man, this guy, he did finally shut up. I want to hear more. Go <laughs> ahead. Learn more at Brian Nichols show. Dot com. Uh, Brian Nichols show. We have a podcast that airs three days a week. We just went down from our five because I, and my new dad. Um, but also, uh, we are doing some longer form content. I was getting a lot of uh, feedback from the audience saying, man, your 20 minute episodes, they're great. But sometimes I want to hear an extra 10, 15, 20 minutes and have some extra questions answered. So we just started adding a little bit more behind our paywall. So can support the show as an audience insider or a super fan $1.99 or five bucks a month over on our Patreon. And then uh, you mentioned it earlier, we have a brand new free, yes, free ebook called how to win your local election. So if you're interested in running for local office, please go ahead and pick that up at briannicholshow.com. Also, we have an old ebook, but it's still, uh, it's still as true as it was when I wrote it. Four easy steps, how to win, or I'm sorry, four easy steps, how to sell liberty to friends and family. It goes through step-by-step. Step. If you have friends, family who maybe they're open to the ideas of liberty, but you're just not sure how to start the conversation. We walk through four easy steps right there, written out in an ebook. It's like less than 20 pages. Also free, available at briannicholshow.com. And then one last thing, um, you can find me on YouTube, Rumble, and on Odyssey for the video version of the show. Also, we are on Sovereign, and uh, every uh, episode gets aired a day early over on Sovereign as a Sovereign exclusive. So if you want to go ahead and support us over there, we'd greatly appreciate it. And uh, oh, find me on Twitter and Facebook at B Nichols Liberty. I think that's everything I hit there, Brian. I think you got them all. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show, man. Always a pleasure and a joy. And of course, if you guys want to support our show, notify, hit the notify button on YouTube if you'd be so kind. We're finally off of the schneid of uh, YouTube's hate watch. So get hit that button so you actually get the episode. Subscribe to the podcast. Share the show. And of course, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty or lionsofliberty.locals for all of our bonus content. Otherwise, from me, Brian McWilliams, from Brian Nichols, from the Lions Learning Network and Me and Age Daydream, keep those electric eyes on me, babe, and keep that ray gun to my head.